Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, so today, Pastor Carl's there in Toronto. Last week, uh, an amazing sermon about the river. We love the river, right? So we talked about the river, and we talked about how uh, the river, it's not just a metaphor. It's not just, uh, it's not just uh, this picture, but it's actually real. It really is. We were talking about it out of the book of Ezekiel. And we were looking, uh, as we're working our way through the Jesus trip, we're, we're in Ezekiel. This week, we're actually going to talk about Daniel. But uh, who's excited that we're getting to the New Testament soon? <laughs> who's actually kept up with their reading? All right, your hands are on camera back there. Somebody saw <laughs> the hands that aren't up. <laughs> no, anyways, it's, uh, it's been good. We've been working our way. If you're new to Impact Church, we started the beginning of the year in Genesis, and we've been working our way through the chronological Bible, and we're going to end up, in, uh, you know, the end of this year, we're going to end up having read the whole of the Bible, but in chronological order, in the order that the story happened. So uh, I, one thing I've really been appreciating lately, although we're not necessarily in the, in the New Testament yet, one of the things I'm appreciating is that there seems to be this development in the consciousness of the people of God where they've moved from, uh, you know, the fall, not knowing God, to this situation where about 1,500 years prior to what we're going to talk about today, God is speaking to uh, human beings, and he's speaking to them, and there's a bunch of fire involved at the top of a mountain. And basically, the way the relationship looks like is, is God writes on a piece of rock and says, here you go, this is what I expect of you, and that's it. And that's kind of the, 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 the depth of the relationship. And it wasn't because it was on God's part. It's not like God was saying, all right, here you go. Go do that, and we'll talk later. That's all that human beings, that's all that the people of Israel would allow for. That's all they wanted. They, they were afraid of God. They had some ideas about him that weren't quite right. And, and so they were happy to let their relationship with God be mediated between a couple of tablets of rock with some commandments on it. And that was kind of it. But now, it's, as we're moving along and we're moving through the, the Old Testament and we're getting closer and closer to when Jesus comes, you start to hear the prophets. You start to hear the people of God start to talk a little bit differently. Now they're not talking about distance. They're not talking about God speaking through tablets of stone. They start saying things like, God's going to write these things on your heart. It's not going to be on a tablet of stone. There's going to be some sort of uh, relationship and commingling. God's going to actually touch you. You're going to be touched by God. And so there's this experiential element of, of a relationship with God that starts to uh, develop in the consciousness of the prophets, and they start writing these amazing things. And one of the things they talk about is this river. So Ezekiel, he sees, he sees a, a vision of a temple. And the water, there's water that starts to come up out of the temple. It starts to come out from underneath the door. The water starts to get, like, ankle high, knee high, thigh high, waist high, over the head. They can't walk through the water anymore. they got to swim. So he describes this river. He says, trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they will be watered by the river flowing from the temple. So you got it in your head. There's a picture of a temple, water flowing, trees on both sides. And it says, the fruit will be for food, and the leaves will be for healing. 
Revelation chapter 22, he says, John the Revelator says, he showed me a pure river of a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of this river was a tree of life, which bore fruit, each tree yielding its fruit every month. So there's a river that causes fruitfulness in every season. Praise God. It says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the important thing to see here is that there, there is a river. There really is. There's a river. It's not a, a metaphor. It's a real river. And we have access to that river, the river of God, the river of the Spirit of God right now. We have access to that right now, just as surely as the Bible tells us we have access to the throne of God right now. So do you remember in John chapter 7, verse 33, it says that Jesus says he went to this feast and at the last and the great day of the feast, he stood up, he cried out to everybody and he said, hey, if anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. And it says, he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow forth rivers of living water. Do you know the amazing thing about that feast was? Is literally Jesus is standing there saying, come to me. You believe in me. Out of your innermost being is going to flow forth rivers of living water. At the moment he's saying that in this feast, there's literally a priest reenacting the ceremony, reenacting the picture of Ezekiel, taking water and pouring it from the doorstep down the steps of the temple. And so there's a priest actually acting this out, pouring water down. And there's Jesus standing beside that saying, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me. I will give you living water. And it says when he spoke of the living water, he spoke about the Holy Spirit who'd not yet been given. That's pretty powerful stuff. Jesus says, you know what? That river, that river in Ezekiel, that river in Revelation, that's not going to be. That, that's not a little river. That, he says, this is the Holy Spirit. Don't look for another building. Don't look for a third temple. Do you know what the third temple is? Boom. Us right here. And he says, you know what? Coming up out of you is going to flow forth the river of living water. And the fruit of your life, the fruit of your life is going to be for the healing of the nations. And don't get freaked out by nations like the healing of America, the healing of Canada. Yeah, that's going to happen. But it's the healing of people, the healing of ethnos. So there's a river that's flowing. It's gushing in your life. It releases life. It's pulsating through you from the very throne of God. And it's going to catch you up and sweep you up into a life of power and into a life of righteousness. And you know what? As we heard last week, you can't help it. The river catches up and sweets up everything in its midst. You, you can't fight against the current. It's too powerful for you. You might have something going on in your world right now, and you're like, I don't know how this is going to change. I don't know how I'm going to change. Well, guess what? It's the river. It's the river of the Spirit of God and the life of God inside of you, pushing you, carrying you through. Faithful is he who called you. He's also going to do it. He who began a good work in you is going to see it through to completion because the power of the river inside of you is so great. You've become a slave to righteousness, whether you know it or not. Your, your internal bend is now towards righteousness. That's God's plan. Just get the river in you. Get the Holy Spirit in you. And it's all available right now. See, this isn't talking about a garden that God's going to plant one day. He planted one. It's the church. Right? There's not going to be trees that he plants one day. He, he already planted trees. Isaiah called them oaks of righteousness. You and me. He's given us a river already. He said he's given us the spirit to drink from. So good. So all that is available right now. Just because it's in the book of Revelation doesn't mean that's in the future. Right? Revelation, uh, which, which actually the, John the Revelator, he, if, if you're paying attention, you'll see that he actually took a lot of the images out of Ezekiel, out of Daniel that we're going to talk about today. But the word revelation, it just means apocalypse. Apocalypse doesn't mean like frightful future events. It literally means, in Greek, it literally means an unveiling, a revealing. That's it. 
So when you see things like that, don't push it off into a future day. Don't, there's going to be a day when God comes and he's going to set up a river. No, there's a, there's a river right now flowing through you right now. And the river and the tree that you are drawing water and, and sustenance out of the river of his spirit, your fruit is for the healing of peoples. Right now, right now. So we're going to carry on the theme of right now as we look at Daniel today. And Daniel, like, like Ezekiel, like Revelation, it's, a, it's, a, it's an apocalyptic book, which in, in the truest sense of the word, like I just said, it means, it means an unveiling, a revealing. It's, a, it's like a, a pulling of the curtain so that you can kind of peek in and see behind the veil. You, know, you want to see what's going on in the spirit or whatever. You peel open the veil and you can see Daniel's one of those books that, that helps us to do that. And it's, the book of Daniel, if you're familiar with it, it's got some pretty strange, almost mind-bending pictures in it. And there's some really crazy illustrations. I mean, there, there's four-headed leopards. There's statues. There, there, there's all sorts of dragons or, or horns and, and goats and rams and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, and, and some of the things that Daniel sees, some of the visions that he has, trouble him. He's, uh, he's bothered by what he sees. He doesn't understand it. And that, that shouldn't mess with us because Peter who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, he said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, he said, the prophets of old, they longed to see and understand the kind of things that the Spirit of God was testifying to them about. There was a grace that was going to be given to us that they didn't understand. So of course it troubles Daniel a little bit. And that shouldn't trouble us either, because there's something better that we have. But so he, there's all these pictures going on, and, and, and Daniel's troubled by what he sees. And at one point in the book, in chapter 12, I believe it is, there's an angel that tells Daniel, seal it up. Everything I've told you, seal it up. It's for the end of time. It's not for you right now. It's for another time. It's for actually for the end of time. So I thought that was pretty intriguing. Who isn't interested in the end of time? Lots of people are. I am. That kind of thing just piques my curiosity. So... I've called this sermon, The King of Kings and the End of Time. And hopefully at the end, it's going to make sense. It's going to be a slow burn. The last 10 minutes are going to be great. We're going to go on a little journey. <laughs> you got to follow me, though. I'm telling you, it's going to be really, really good. Let's go. Before we go, though, I have to say something, because I say this every single time I get the chance to talk. And, and, it's, and, and I believe this with all of my heart, and I think this is one of the most significant revelations that the church needs right now. And that's this. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life. But those scriptures are the things that actually testify to me. But you're not willing to come to me to get life. In other words, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and he says, the way you're using the Bible is actually preventing you from getting life from me. That's fascinating, eh? Jesus is saying the whole point of these scriptures is actually to point to me and give you life. If you think the Bible is going to give you life, oops, right? The apostle Paul says it's the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So, so the Bible does this amazing thing. It points us to Jesus in a way that no other book possibly can. It was, it was I believe, uh, inspired by God. It has a special place. It's, it's, it's our holy book. But it doesn't replace the Holy Spirit. And if you use it properly, who knows if you get given a tool, you got to know how to use it. I'm notorious for not knowing what to do with tools. I literally look at that. I'm like, I don't know what that does. Like, I'm the least uh, capable handyman ever. But part of it is you got to know what to do with a tool, right? You can't screw something in with a hammer. Don't try. Another thing I want to draw your attention to before I move forward a little bit here is one more caveat. The book of Daniel, it's a, it's a prophetic book. 
It's, it's prophesying. It's telling us things that are, that are going to come in, in a certain sense. But I want you to look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. This is Jesus' own words here. Jesus said, don't think that I came to do away with the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them, but I came to fulfill them. Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the words of the prophets. He said he came to fulfill the law. He actually goes on to say that, that you know, not one jot or tittle of the law is going to disappear until it's all fulfilled. Well, when did the law end? The law ended at the cross. Jesus fulfilled it all at the cross. Just some food to chew on, something to think about for a couple minutes. But the reason I've belabored this point, and I do all the time, but again, why I have again today is, I, and I and wanted to draw your attention to this statement by Jesus, is, is for two reasons, really. What I want to share today is, in fact, it, it's kind of pretty familiar. I mean, the book of Daniel, it's, we, we've heard from Stefan today, it's full of some pretty familiar Sunday school stories, like Daniel and the Lion's Den, or uh, if you like VeggieTales, Rackshack and Benny. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in the furnace of fire, and then one like the Son of Man appears in the midst of the fiery trial, saves them, and brings them out of it. Pretty powerful story. So we're familiar with one of, some of these stories. And if we're, uh, if we're into prophetic things at all, too, there's some pretty familiar prophetic images. Like there's the, the statue with the head of gold, and then we've got flying animals and all sorts of stuff. And we're familiar with some of the narratives that we tell ourselves about these visions anyways and what we think they mean. But what I want to tell you, in keeping with the Jesus trip, and then we'll actually get where we're going, is that the book of Daniel, the purpose of this book is to point us to Jesus. It's not to explain 21st century Middle Eastern politics. It's not to help us understand who the Antichrist is. It's supposed to help us understand who Jesus Christ is. And it's not either a book of moralisms where, I mean, there's some great moral lessons in them, how to be faithful to God in the midst of a trying situation in a God-hating culture where all the odds are stacked against you. There's some great stories there, right? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a few times they risked their lives. But, but you know what? That's not what this is about. It actually, uh, it does something so much more than that, something so much more powerful. It leads us to Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, I'll tell you what, your moral life is going to be transformed. And when you come to Jesus, you're going to see his footprints in human political history. So, so let it lift you up. Let it take you to Jesus. So a couple things about the book of Daniel, too, that we need to know is that the context of it is that it's written, again, while the Jewish people are in exile. They're living in a foreign land. They've been judged. They, they, their worst fears and the biggest sign of God's displeasure on their life that could ever possibly happen has happened to them, and they've been carried out of their land, taken away from the place where they're told they're actually supposed to worship God in Jerusalem and the temple. They've been snatched up out of that land, taken to a foreign place, and told to do things and live a life that's actually contrary to the law they've been given. And for a person like Daniel, an uh, 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 enthusiastic, God-loving young man, some of the things that he would have been asked to do would have been absolutely hellish. They would have messed up with his conscience. There's no way he would have wanted to have done this. Like to be numbered amongst the, the magicians. I'm pretty certain that's not a Hebrew thing. So we see a few examples in this book where Daniel and his friends, they risk their lives to be obedient to God. So we have stories, like I said, Daniel and the lion's dead, Rakshak and Benny, where in the midst of exile, they find a way to serve their God anyways. And like I said, we could stop there and we could learn some pretty amazing moral lessons. But we have a different gospel. Right? We don't have a gospel that's centered around human promise and human potential. It's about the power of God. 
So we want to see Jesus here. And if you look past the predictions, the prophetic predictions in the book of Daniel, if you look past the moral lessons, you see this amazing, and even if you look past the picture of Daniel and his buddies staying true to God, there's actually a greater drama playing out. There's actually a greater contest happening. It's not just about Daniel being faithful. There's something else going on. It's not about Daniel, not about Rakshak and Benny. It's about God Almighty, the God of the Jews versus the, the small G gods of the Babylonians. And, and it's about the, God alone, the Babylonian tendency, if you can hear this, to elevate humanity and false religion. It's deeply demonic. And what happened at the Tower of Babel finds its, its fulfillment, really, in these, in these Babylonian empires, where the, the worship revolves around the, the worship and the exaltation of human beings in false religion. So there's actually this contest going on between the God of Israel and the Babylonian small g gods. A contest going on between the king of heaven and kings who reign on this earth. So Daniel and his friends get caught up into this drama. So Daniel, he, he doesn't eat what the other people eat. Who's heard of the Daniel fast? Don't do it. Eat meat. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so Daniel, he doesn't eat what they eat. He follows God's ways and he ends up being healthier. Is that a manifestation of Daniel's awesomeness or the awesomeness of his God? It's the awesomeness of his God. The other prophets and the soothsayers of the, the Babylonian small g gods, they can't figure out what the king's dream is, but Daniel's God can. Daniel's God's the revealer of mysteries. He's able to reveal things when the Babylonian gods can't. Rakshag and Benny, they refuse to worship a false god, but our God keeps them alive. Daniel refuses to pray to someone other than his God, and our God saves him. And it's like consistently, over and over, God proves to be superior. He's able to protect and keep his people from the consequences of a system of misplaced worship and God-hating. Yay, God. Our God rules. Our God reigns. The message is clear. And then, if it's not clear enough, in this book, there's a few times where Daniel has prophetic encounters with the kings and the rulers, and he ends up in direct but polite confrontation with them, basically letting them know to their face, hey, explicitly, my God rules, not your God. The king of heaven, he rules, not you. Don't get it confused. So after a few strange occurrences, I mean, there's a hand that shows up and writes on a wall. There's a, there's a king that ends up going crazy and ends up eating grass like a wild animal. After some of these crazy episodes, one of the kings, Nebuchadnezzar, he ends up confessing. He goes through this, this process. But at the end, he says, truly, Daniel, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries. The king is confessing, wow, Daniel, your God rules, your God reigns. Again, he says, his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. Nebuchadnezzar's like, oops, it's not me. There's somebody above me. There's a king in heaven. Or Darius, King Darius, when Daniel lives through the lion's den, I love this. These are pagan rulers acting as evangelists. Imagine if we had a prime minister or, or there was a president that were doing things like this. I mean, it'd be awful, but for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. There's a pagan king saying everybody needs to recognize the rule of the God of Daniel. Wow. There's, there's a pagan king who's encountered God and God ends up being recognized by the pagan king. Is Wow. There's someone above me. The buck doesn't stop with me. They're the Lord God Almighty, he reigns. And that is actually the prevailing message in the book of Daniel. That, that's actually the drama that's unfolding, the contest. You know, the, the, the human characters get caught up in this story, but it's actually about God ruling and reigning over the kingdoms of men. 
And when you look at this book and you look beyond the moralisms, the, the good behavior lessons, when you look beyond the apocalyptic visions and the prophetic predictions, and you look to see Jesus in the book of Daniel, what you get is not a nice timeline and a chart and a graph telling you when the future is going to unfold and how it's all going to go down. And it doesn't give you a couple examples for how you too can be faithful under persecution. And you know what? You also don't get a crash course in prophetic ministry. Just a, just a little side note here. Just permit me this one bunny trail. But Dan, Daniel's often described as like the, the, the be-all and the end-all of prophetic ministry, where he's, uh, we want to emulate his ministry. There's, uh, there's Daniel schools of prophets and all that kind of stuff. And if you've done that, I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I mean, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's just the new covenant. Remember the story where Daniel is, uh, he's waiting on his prayers to get answered and there's a principality that comes and he says, hey, well, you were heard, but there's 21, I, I've been in this fight with this principality called the Prince of Persia. There's been some sort of spiritual warfare going on and I haven't been able to get my prayers answered. Do you remember that? And uh, you know what? That's a great story. And no doubt that was an old covenant reality, but it's not one for us. It's really not. So if you're trapped in that scenario, if you feel like you're engaged in some sort of spiritual warfare, and for some reason something's not happening in your life because there's something going on there, just pull your head out of it because that's not a, a, not, a, not a scenario for you. You have direct access to God. Your prayers are heard. You are in direct access right now and contact right now with the throne of God. Right now. You can boldly come before that throne because of his grace. And you get to do it through the new and living way that Jesus is. Jesus is the new and living way. I get to walk right into the presence of God. There's no, there's no intermediary. It's Jesus. Right? I'm not engaged in that kind of stuff. So if that's your paradigm for your prayers being answered, or if you feel like you're engaged in that spiritual warfare, let's get delivered of that right now. That's gone. That whole system and structure, that whole uh, picture of you battling through all that kind of stuff is gone right now. And do you know what it went? It went at the cross. When Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself and he let his flesh get ripped open, he became to us the new and the living way. His blood washed us from everything that hinders us access. And you know what? Principalities and powers, they were disarmed at the cross. When that handwritten ordinance against you, this is the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 where he says all those things that were against you, that, that armed and gave ammunition and weapons to principalities and powers and evil forces and all that stuff, that stuff actually got taken out of the way and all those things got disarmed at the cross. All of it. The blood of Jesus put an end to all of it. Our prayers are answered. We have direct access to God right now, not in some future day. So this book, it's not about prophetic activations. It's not about mantles. It's not about gifts. It's not about good behavior. It's not about courageous moral living. It's not even given to, to help us have these prophetic predictions about the future beyond this simple one. There's a king who's coming. His name is Jesus. And when you let the book of Daniel, when you let prophecy in the Old Testament point to Jesus rather than what you think needs to happen in the 21st century, you actually get in touch with some pretty powerful kingdom realities that already took place in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Those are his words, remember. 
So Daniel had a pretty, pre, couple pretty cool, pretty amazing predictions. So Daniel chapter 2, the king has a dream. He has a dream about a statue with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, waist and thigh of bronze, legs of iron, and feet and toes of iron mixed with clay. He gets this vision, and Daniel's God is able to interpret it interpret it for him. And, and the interpretation is, you great king are the head of gold. And then he talks about some successive kingdoms that are coming. Now you can, you can go crazy trying to figure this out. The general consensus throughout church history is that the head of gold is Babylon. The Medes and the Persians are the next one. The Greeks are the next one. And then there's Rome. And it actually describes Rome pretty well, actually, that there's a, uh, there, there were 10 senatorial provinces, not princesses, provinces, uh, created by August Caesar in 27 BC. I was going to fix that, but that was for whoever's not paying attention. I wanted to see who chuckled. So yeah, so this describes the, uh, the Roman Empire very well. And then Daniel, in the dream, he says, you know what, great king, there was a stone that came out of nowhere, hit the feet of that statue representing the kingdom and the rule and the reign of men. It smashed the statue into pieces, and that rock came and became a great kingdom that filled the whole earth. Well, that sounds like Jesus. That sounds like Jesus coming at the time of the Romans. There's another great prophecy, Daniel 9, verse 20, 24 to 27. You might have heard about Daniel's 70 weeks where it says 70 weeks are decreed for you and your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. It goes on and it talks about 62 weeks, or after seven weeks, and then 62 weeks, an anointed one shall come and be cut off, and I'll have nothing. He'll make a strong covenant for many with one week, and for half a week he'll, he shall make sacrifice and offering cease. There's some amazing stuff here. And the way that the scholars actually figured this out is when he talks about weeks, he's talking about uh, one week being seven years. So uh, a week is seven years. And the amazing thing about Daniel's prophecy is that 483 years later, seven weeks plus 62 weeks of seven years, uh, the anointed one actually shows up around 27 BC. We're going to read in Ezra and Nehemiah, there's a decree for the people of Israel to go back to their own land. And about 483 years later, just as Daniel said, Jesus Christ shows up to be baptized. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The anointed one shows up on the scene. And halfway through a seven-year period, he gets cut off and he dies. That's pretty accurate. That's pretty amazing. Now, there's all sorts of prophetic stuff that's still trying to figure this out. The thing about prophecy in the Bible is you can let Jesus contextualize it or the context can kind of inform your understanding of Jesus. Jesus gets to be the one who defines reality. So even if you don't understand the history, even if you don't want to look into history textbooks and read people, you can figure out prophecy by looking at the person of Jesus. Jesus contextualizes prophecy, not the other way around. So these predictions, they came true. Jesus Christ was the rock that came out of nowhere, came from heaven, not hewn with human hands, shows up, smashes the feet of kingdoms, and Jesus ushered in a new kingdom. Some of us are waiting for that to happen. Some of us are waiting for the kingdom of God to be established when it happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ established a kingdom. That kingdom, its influence is growing and it's expanding right now, but it's already established. Not one day in the future. Not in the quote-unquote end times. Daniel chapter 9, read about this. Jesus says that he, he is the one who came and he put an end to sin. He atoned for iniquity. He brought in everlasting righteousness, sealed the vision and the prophet, anointed the most holy place, made a covenant with many. And Jesus made sacrifices and offerings cease. He did that. Jesus fulfilled that. That's not a description of what a coming antichrist is going to do. 
That's a description of what Jesus Christ already did. Can you see the disservice that happens to the finished work of the cross when you don't let Jesus be the fulfillment of prophecy, but you say, you know what, Jesus, actually, you're not that special. My time's a little bit more special than you in your time, so I'm not going to embrace the fullness of the finished work of the cross. I'm going to say that something else needs to get added to it in the future. That's the danger with some of the crazy prophetic stuff that's out there. It detracts and it robs from the finished work of the cross. And all of a sudden, instead of believing that it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom right now, you're stuck in this mindset, in this narrative, where I only get a part right now, and then there's going to be a little bit more given to me later. When Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, and don't worry. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See the problem when you put delay and you push things off into the future, instead of letting Jesus be the one that defines uh, the, the prophetic predictions in the Bible. See, Jesus put an end to sacrifice. We're not waiting for another temple to be built in Jerusalem. We're not waiting for an antichrist to come and stop a, a revived uh, sacrificial system. Jesus put an end to it. Even if somebody did, it's invalid. It doesn't matter. Jesus Christ put an end to the law. He put an end to sacrifices. He put an end to the Jewish law. He put a, 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 an end to any human being living by a law code before God. Jesus ended all of it. He put it to a complete and total end. Listen to this, Hebrews 10. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God and since then has been waiting until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected, he's completed everyone for all time, those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after this saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Praise Jesus is gone. But hey, do you recognize in that, in Hebrews there, do you recognize Jeremiah? Some of the things we've been talking about, Jeremiah the prophet, do you recognize some of the language that Ezekiel used, where he's like, God's coming and he's going to give you a new heart? Do you recognize some of the language there about Daniel, where he's saying, Jesus, is, there's going to be an end to sacrifices? Old Testament prophecy points to Jesus and finds in him its ultimate fulfillment. Now, this is the cool thing. This is why the authors of the Bible, and we'll just take one example, we'll use the author of Hebrews, when they spoke about the end times, what they were speaking about is not some awful terrible moment at the end of days when evil's going to win. They saw the end of the world as coinciding with the coming of the Messiah. The tragedy in our world is that we've said, yeah, you're right, he's got to come again. But you know what, some of us have an expectation that he's going to come again and redo what he already did. And that's the, that's the, the travesty there. See, the end of time, what the Bible talks about is the end times, is the times of human floundering under our own rule and under our own government, living under the power of things that enslave us. Jesus, his definition of the end of time is the end of that stuff. So the writer of Hebrews, you can see this, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, he says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. The end times are the times when God speaks to us clearly through his son. Jesus is the definer of the end time. It's not, a, it's not something that's coming. Something that happened. God in Christ reconciled the world to himself. So here's the deal. You remember when we started the sermon with a reference to Daniel, who was uh, uh, being told to seal up the books until the end of time? 
Well, that end of time has come and gone. Sorry to say, Jesus put an end to it. And the seal, the thing that got sealed up, the books that, are, that, that he was told, you know, put those away, those are for another time. If you're still looking for the opening of those books, stop. Can tell you what was in those books. You ready? The seal is gone. God had a mystery. It was kept hidden. We see that in the person of Daniel. Here you go, Daniel. Here's some amazing things, but I want you to seal it up till the end of time. But the end of time, I'm going to tell you, is when the Son of God comes and you're not hearing me mediated through humanity anymore or, or rocks. What's going to happen? The end of time is when I myself am going to show up on the scene and I'm going to speak directly to you. I myself will mediate to you. That's when the end of time is going to happen. So the mystery that was kept hidden, the thing that Daniel didn't see and couldn't get it, if you're familiar with Colossians, some, some, some bells are starting to ring. The mystery kept hidden, the thing that was sealed up from ages past, but now revealed to us is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, it's all about Jesus. It really is. Even these secret things of the Old Testament, it all gets fully disclosed in the person of Jesus Christ. So later on this month, we're going to start reading the Gospels. And the Gospels refer to Jesus as the Son of Man. So just to go a little bit further in this, if you, if you read Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, Daniel says, I watched in the night visions, and I saw one like a human being, or other versions say, like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. And to him, to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion, Jesus' dominion, is an everlasting dominion. It shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Amazing. Daniel looked ahead and saw that, but guess what? That got fulfilled. Daniel accurately prophesied a heavenly event, but it's one that happened. Jesus, the one the Gospels reveal to us as the Son of Man, he approached the Ancient of Days after his resurrection. Remember, Mary's trying to bother him in the church hallway, and he ends up going up, or the garden, and he ends up going up, and uh, he says, don't touch me, I've not yet ascended to my father. So he goes up, he goes up, he ascends to the father, he approaches the ancient days after his resurrection, and this king of glory, he ascended, and he received a kingdom. He sat down at the right hand, he took a seat, and he's waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Jesus came into his kingdom. He's right now ruling and reigning. Not one day in the future. Today. Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 5, actually. Uh, he's there. He's troubled. There's a scroll. Nobody can take it out of the hand of the one who sits on the throne. Says he looked back. He thought he's seeing a lion, but he saw a lamb. And the lamb took the scroll out of the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seed or its seal. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You ransomed. You've made them to be kings and priests serving our God, and they will reign on the earth. Isn't that amazing? We did that today. It's actually kind of cool. George didn't know I was going to talk about this. We, we were doing that. We were fulfilling this. Incense, it says the incense, incense rising night and day. I won't sing it, I'll save you that. But you got an interpretation out of the Bible that says that that's the prayers of the saints. We're doing it right now. So just because it's in the book of Revelation doesn't mean it's in the future. Revelation, remember, it's just a, it just means apocalypse. It just means an unveiling, a lifting of the veil so I can see what's really going on. It means revealing, 
not future telling. So Daniel's vision looked ahead. He saw a time when the Son of Man was going to approach the throne. John the Revelator, I argue, looked back. He saw a time when the Son of Man approached the throne. But both, they reveal for us a present-day reality, the eternal reality that Jesus Christ right now is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the one who sits on the throne. He is above the kingdoms of Babylon, of Persia, of America, of Canada. Jesus Christ is above all of that. And the Apostle Paul actually breaks it down even farther. He says he is above all rule. He's above all principality, all power. Right now, that has amazing dramatic implications in our lives. See, Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's not someday in the future. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is King of kings and Lord of lords right now with the legal power and authority to rule and to reign now. So you might ask, well, if that's true, how come there's so many bad things happening? How come there's so much uh, lack of manifestation of, of this kind of thing in my life? How come X, Y, and Z? If Jesus is on the throne, if all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth, it's a big question and it's worth asking. But I dare say that at some point we kind of we got to get over the obsession with these kinds of questions and we got to see what is. And what is is this. Do you know, I want to ask a different question actually. I want to ask this question. What did Jesus do with the power and the authority that he has? He gave it away. How's that for a king, eh? Somebody comes into authority and power and rule over everything. He takes that power and authority and he makes other people powerful. He gets all this authority and he gives it away. Isn't that amazing? That, that's a noble king. That's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think sometimes he asks us the same question. How come? How come? Because he's given it to us. And we have to faithfully believe that. We've got to hang on to that, not give up. Because he is on the throne. I mean, he's given us this power. He's given and invested this authority in us with such confidence and such trust that it actually says, hey, I'm going to sit down and put my feet up. And I'm going to wait for my enemies to be made my footstool because through you, you're going to put the kibosh on all of it. He's actually sitting down. Jesus, how come this isn't happening? He's sitting. He's on a seat. Again, uh, like I, I'm, I'm thinking a lot these days about Moses where he goes to the Red Sea and he starts to pray and cry out to God. And he's like, God, wh wh what? There's a thingy here. Can you, can you move the water? And uh, God basically rebukes him for praying. And said, Moses, you're not supposed to pray about that. You're supposed to do it. Right? And we let these truths sink in. Let this stuff work its way into us. I'll tell you what, we're going to stop praying about some stuff, and we're going to start moving some stuff. But what a king, eh? What a king. He gets all the power and authority, and he gives it away. He, he's put his purpose in, in such, it seems like such a vulnerable and a precarious position. He's trusted us. Crazy. I think that's a crazy plan. But he's done it. And do you know why he's done it? Revelation chapter 5 verse 10, it says that he has actually made us to be kings and priests. See, if you push off into the future, the fact that Jesus Christ is king of kings, lord of lords, and his kingdom is now, you're not going to realize the royalty that you are. 
you're not going to realize that you've been made a king. You're not going to realize that you have been made a, a priest. Now, this is not to say that we don't experience difficulty and we don't experience tragedy. We do. All things are not yet as they should be. But I would, I would contend that instead of kind of wondering why that is, we got to get involved in changing it one situation at a time. See, even in those sad and tragic situations that should not be what they are, even in there, sometimes the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the love and the reign of God is expressed in those moments probably most poignantly. So here's the thing. This is where we're going today. The message of Daniel. If you read it through the lens that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, you'll see that he has already ushered in the end of time already. He's reconciled the world to himself and he made all things new. Now, I'm not denying that Jesus Christ is coming again. The angel said, hey, you're going to see him. He's going to come back just like he left. He's coming. But do you know what I do know? When he's coming, he's not coming to redo what he already did. And he's not coming to add to what he already did. He's coming to see a bride that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He's coming to see the fruit of his labor. He's coming to enjoy it. He's not coming to be crucified again. He's not coming to deal with your sins. He's not coming to deal with the sins of the whole world. Man, if Jesus just comes back, then all that sin stuff's going to go away. No, the power of sin got broken at the cross. So that all of creation is actually waiting for something, but it's not the return of Christ. It's the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. Romans chapter 8. So the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God is going to happen to the world when the sons and the daughters of God get a revelation that they are the sons and the daughters of God. So that's what we're waiting for. That's what creation is waiting for. Peter actually says you can hasten, quicken the coming of the Lord. That's crazy. Well, hold on. I thought that there was a timetable that God's working for. No, Peter says you can hasten his coming because you know what he's waiting for? Us to get it. We can hasten it. So don't, don't get me wrong. Jesus is coming again, but he's not coming to deal with sin. See, Jesus, the Bible says that he was crucified in weakness, yet now he lives by the power of God. If your vision of Jesus is Jesus who's still kind of on the cross, he's not there anymore. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. So we go through stuff, but we have to not valorize the stuff we're going through or the fact that we're going through stuff. We have to valorize that there's a king who's overcome it all. We sang about that today, about the God who overcame stuff and has made us more than conquerors. So we go through stuff. We don't want to deny the reality of the stuff that we're going through. But we want to introduce the stuff we're going through to the victory of King Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So we got to understand the power of the new birth. Or last week, Pastor Carl said, we've never had a behavior problem. We've only had a birth problem. Well, you can be born again into a new kingdom. And when you get that, when you read Daniel through the lens of Jesus, you see that he's not teaching us how to live moral lives, but he's telling us that there is a now present kingdom reality that will never end. Its increase in your life will grow and it will flourish and it won't stop. See, Jesus brought that kingdom. And now all of our moral problems and all of our moral struggles are actually gone. See, we were born into a new kingdom. You're born into a kingdom where no longer the power of sin, death, or the law gets to rule you. Romans chapter 6 says sin will no longer have dominion over you because you're not under the rule. You're not under the law. You're not under the kingdom. If you look at that Greek word, basileu, it means kingdom. You're not under the political dominating power of sin. You've come under a new Lord and a new king. 
That's why there's a, there's a river that's going to rush and gush through you, and it's going to lead you into a life of power and righteousness. Because there's a new king in town. You're not ruled and governed by the law. You're not ruled and governed by sin anymore. You're ruled and governed by King Jesus. So there's a new humanity out there that whether they realize it or not, has been made kings and priests to God, given holy and divine responsibility to help bring his enemies under his feet. And that's not in the future. Daniel prophesied it. Jesus fulfilled it. And what I pray today is that we all see there is no delay. There's no waiting for a coming king. He's coming again. Believe me, he is. But he's, like I said, he's not coming to redo some of the things that we think we need him to come and do. I love this quote from Paul Ellis. I think I've got it in a slide. Paul Ellis in the Gospel of Ten Words, he says that uh, some people treat Christianity like a game of checkers. If you live carefully and navigate your way safely to the other side, then and only then you can declare king me. But the truth is you were kinged at the beginning of the game. The moment you were put into Christ, you became royalty. Right here, right now in Jesus Christ, we are royalty. Not when he comes and does something. The kingdom now resides within us. The Holy Spirit in you. Amazing. And unless we try to complicate this, because oh my goodness, we do. Unless we try to complicate it and make it something that is not. As if living out the kingdom of God is somehow in our own humanity struggling and striving so hard to obey the decrees and the kingly commands of a holy God. As awesome and as amazing as that sounds. The ones who actually reign in life and manifest the realities of what we've been talking about here, they're not the ones who are amazing and better submitters to the rule of God than anybody else. You can't claim by your own power or piety or ability to submit to King Jesus that somehow you get to rule in life. No, it's not something that you get to do yourself. The ones who rule and reign in life, familiar Romans chapter 5, verse 17, are the ones who receive the abundance of the grace, and the free gift of righteousness. They will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Tony, if you're trying real hard to get on top of your situation and manifest your kingship, see, a lot of us are aware of the fact that God's made us kings and priests. We just don't know how to live it out. Here's the reality of it. You live it out by accepting the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, not by trying really hard to do it. It's in the Bible. The ones who reign in life, they understand that the rule of Jesus in your life, it's not you and your willpower submitting to God, but it's him in you reigning. There's a new power in town. Human beings are never meant to live under our own power. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, one or the other. The delusion that's hit humanity is that we in our free will get to be our own kings. Ain't true. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, one or the other. If you're in Christ, guess what? You're a slave of righteousness. And you're going to do righteous things whether you believe it or not. If you want to save yourself some of the inner turmoil, what you can do is agree with that. And you might find the expression comes a little bit quicker. But hang in there. King Jesus is on the throne. And he would rule and reign through you. In you and through you. So if you embrace this Daniel message, if you embrace the message of this book that our God reigns, his kingdom and his king has come. He rules in us now. He rules through us. Like Daniel, he, towards the end of his book, he makes this amazing statement. He says, those who know their God, they will display strength and do exploits. Fantastic, eh? If you know your God, you'll be strong and you'll carry out great exploits. You will reign in life when you know your God and you know the covenant you're in. 
when you know who's on the throne, when you know when he's in the throne, which is today, right now, reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father, expressing that power and glory through us. And the biggest obstacle to all of it is not a devil in hell. It's us being okay with it. It's almost too good to be true. You know? God's saying, I, God Almighty, would, would express myself and my power through you. I want to give you the kingdom. And we're like, no, no, hold on, hold on. I need to do something first. Let me pay you something for it. Crazy. It is. So the Apostle Paul, he spoke in Corinthians chapter 11, and he said, you know what? I'm afraid for you, lest the serpent deceived you like he did Eve, and you've been led away from the simplicity that's in Christ. It's simple. It really is. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. Book of Daniel. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, right now. Right here, right now. You've been made kings, and you shall reign on the earth right now. Not in the future, right now. Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's stand up together. Let's pray. I love that. I'm going to say that again, that quote from Paul Ellis. Some people treat Christianity like a game of checkers. If you live carefully and navigate your way to the other side, you can declare king me. Do you know what? You can declare right now I am a king. You believe it, you're going to live like it. Not because believing it makes it true, but because it is true. So you might as well believe it. Embrace it. Walk out of this place knowing Jesus Christ has already anointed you. He's already made you a king and a priest. You have the power and the authority invested in you already. You've got the name of Jesus to bring the kingdom of God to every situation that you're going to meet. That's true. Whether we feel like we're seeing it or not, we want to see more or not, I'm telling you, just believe. Jesus said, if you will, just believe. You will see the glory of God. So if you're, if you're struggling, hang in there. Keep believing. Keep feeding yourself the rhema word of God. Faith comes by hearing. If you're struggling with faith today, if you're struggling to believe what I've said, don't, don't go try and, and work up your faith. Go put yourself in a situation where you're going to hear the rhema word. Faith comes, and it comes by hearing. Make sure that you're hearing the right stuff. Make sure you're being fed and you're feeding yourself with the good word, the rhema word, the now word, the word of his grace that the Apostle Paul said is able to give you an inheritance. It's the word of his grace that gives you an inheritance. Feed yourself on that. Don't, don't walk away from things like this and feeling frustrated, feeling like, oh, if that was true, then this would be different. No. Wrestle with the word. Get in the word. Stay in the word. Believe the word of his grace. There is an inheritance that each one of us have access to right now, right here, right now.